Thank you for tuning in to Matitis, a podcast from one disciple of Jesus to another. May God choose to use this to further his kingdom. Hey, welcome back to Matitis. And I hope that your Christmas was wonderful. I uh, wish you a Merry Christmas prior, and uh, I hope that those wishes were met and played out, and you had great memories made with your family as you celebrated the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're about to go into the new year. Uh, again, another great celebration. A lot of people look forward to a year beginning, and they look back on the year as it was ended. Uh, a lot of resolutions are made. A lot of gym memberships are signed up for, uh, and uh, hopefully they'll be followed through with those resolutions. Uh, and with that in mind, uh, there's a song that I'm going to try to read through uh, today and just share, share some thoughts as I go. Uh, something that I was reading the other night, meditating on, and uh, God began to speak to my heart through his word. And you know, the one thing that we can count on uh, as followers of Jesus, is adversity. Peter tells us that it's a certainty. James tells us it's a certainty. Paul tells us it's a certainty and even uses his own adversity as uh, examples of that. And Jesus, our Lord, even told us uh, that it's a certainty. He said, they hate me, they're going to hate you. And part of that that battle, that fight that we have to to do or fight, and you know, I've mentioned it before in a previous podcast. Uh, there's there's different fronts that we have to face. It's not always uh, an external person that persecutes us. It's not necessarily in some countries. It is a, a governmental force that that may persecute individuals or the church. Uh, but the truth is, is that we're in a fallen world. We're surrounded by societies that by default, by their very nature, they hate God. Uh, They hate Christianity. Uh, They might like the gifts of God. They might like the morality or the outcomes of of Christianity as a religion. Um, But as a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's not something that they like. And people will go from various scales of vehemently hating it to relegating it to, well, I'm glad that worked for you. But the truth is we, we do live in a world where every day we're going to have to face this to some degree. And Peter even tells us to be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks the reason of the hope that's in you. So to some degree, there will be resistance that we will have to overcome, wrestle with, uh, and live with as a, a daily reality. So in this Psalm chapter five, as I go through, that's that's the mentality that I have as as we're going into it. And this is Psalm five, and the title is A Refuge of the Righteous. So what I'm going to do as I read through the Psalm, it's going to be a little off the cuff, sort of. I, I'm not sure how this will plan out. Hopefully I'll be able to clearly delineate when I stop reading the scripture and start to add my own commentary, but keep in mind that that ebb and flow is going to take place. So this is a Psalm of David. David starts and he says, listen to my words, Lord, consider my sighing, pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. And I, for I pray to you, in those first two verses, 
the thing that is apparent is David's desperation. He, he talks about sighing or groaning. He talks about attend to my cry as he's pleading for help. And he says, I pray to you. And the context, the word there uh, has the meaning of like an interjection. Uh, like a, a kid who doesn't wait for the parent to stop talking. They just run up and begin to speak because to them, whatever it is that they have, their need, their situation is of vital importance. And the parents always like, hey, stop talking. The, the grownups are talking. Be respectful. It's rude. But the child doesn't matter. That's the type of attitude David's approaching the Lord with. As he says, hear my cry, God. Hear my prayer. He comes up and says, Abba. Daddy, please listen to me. I have this need. Please hear me. And he carries on in the morning. The The first thing, this is how urgent David's need is. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and I watch expectantly. Again, as a child comes to their parent, their father or their mother, and they expect to be heard. They expect a response. They expect an answer. David says in the morning, I'm, I plead with you and I'm, I'm watching for you to answer. I'm watching for you to act. He expected to be answered. And he tells us why, starting in verse four, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. But I enter into your house by the abundance of your faithful love. There we have the reason. And we're going to break those verses down a little bit more, Lord willing. But right there where he says, I watch expectantly. He expected to be answered based on God's righteousness. As we see in verse four, all the way down through verse six, and then in verse seven, he says, because of your faithful or your covenantal love, this was the anchor. This was what David would cling to when he came to make his case before the Lord is God. I expect you to move because you cannot abide evil and you're faithful to your children. And with those two truths, David knew that he had the ear of his father. The other thing that's interesting is David puts uh, a contradiction, right? He, he puts this dividing line from the type of people in verses four through seven, four through six to himself, right? For verse four, again, you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. Boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. He paints his enemies out to be absolutely horrible people. And it's easy for us to almost maybe come down on David a little bit as if, oh, if you think mighty highly of yourself. Because in verse seven, David clearly speaks as if he is not these people. Those people he just described are on the other side. They are, they are the reason that he's making his supplication. They're the reason he's running to God for justice and help. But then he says in verse seven, I enter your house. And here's why by the abundance of your faithful love. Again, David understands something here. He's no better than the others. 
aside from the grace of God, aside from the covenantal love that God has shed on him, the undeserved love that God has given to David. Other than that, there is no distinction. But because of that love, there is a distinction. And so David cries out, and he continues, I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. And then in verses 8 and 9, we begin to see his plea. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me. And that's something that, as I read, because of my adversaries, I've often thought over the last eight to nine months, is there There are three elements. I've said this before. And I actually, let me turn to James, uh, James chapter three. I can find it briefly. And we'll look at James chapter three. I think it's verse 15. Let's see. 3.15, yeah. Uh, James says, such wisdom does not come down. Uh, let me let me back up a little bit. Um, I'll start in verse 13 so you can understand the context. Um, so James says in 3.13, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes with wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, there's one, unspiritual, there's two, demonic, there's three. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so uh, other translations would translate unspiritual as, as carnal or fleshly. And so that James 3.15 talks about three aspects of that which pushes back on us, right? Of that, the flow, the, the current that we have to fight is those three, uh, oftentimes called the world, earthly, the flesh, unspiritual, and demonic, the devil, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. These These are our adversary. These are the things that we can get attacks from all throughout the day, the week, the month, the year, simultaneously or individually, we can receive these attacks. And so David says, because of my adversaries, because they are so present and so adversarial, make your way straight before me. And making your way straight doesn't mean as if it's it's crooked and he needs he needs to straighten it out what david's asking for is make it plain make it very much apparent um proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding in all your ways know him and he will make your paths straight when David's asking God to make the way straight before him, he's saying, prepare it, move the sticks out of the way, make it plain and clear and in essence, easy in that way. He's not asking to remove all adversity easy. He's asking to make it clear, make it straight. 
so that I may follow your way. Because, see, my adversaries, they try to muck up the way, right? They try to confuse it, to blur it, to shoot out the, the street lights that are along the way, to drop trees across the way, to to carve paths off to the side to to try to get me to go in that direction or get you to go in that direction. That's, that's what our adversaries, the world, the flesh and the devil, they may stand off to the side and tell us to go back. They may tell us to get off and sit down by the way. They may tell us that what we're believing, maybe we don't believe it enough. Maybe we, uh, they try to give us thoughts that we never did. Maybe they try to tell us we've been deceived Right. Maybe they whatever they try to do, just like the serpent, just like Satan did in the garden to put doubt in mind of the goodness of God, to challenge who God is fundamentally. Oh, no, no, no. See, it's Satan was saying, no, no, no. It's it's not that you'll die if you eat the fruit. What it is, is that God is keeping something from you that he knows will will give you a leg up. Satan attacked the goodness of God. That's that's what the world, the flesh, and the devil will try to do. Those are the fiery darts that are thrown at us. That Paul reminds us through the power of the Spirit, we need to raise the shield of faith and quench those fiery darts. And then we need to be on the offensive and use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is what we see Jesus do when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He quoted scripture that just pointed back to, I stand on what the Father has said. But let's move on in verse 9. David starts to talk about his adversaries. He says, for there is nothing reliable in what they say. In other words, they lie. The world, the flesh, and the devil, it's a lie. What they present, although there may be some truth mixed in a half truth with a lie still a lie there is nothing not 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 sometimes they're good no there is nothing reliable in what they say destruction is within them it's the hate the propensity to tear down it's it's in them the world the flesh and the devil that's what they desire is the destruction of God and his people. Their throat is an open grave. Death just pours out. Their speech, the end of their speech, is your demise. And they flatter with their tongues. Imagine they, they walk with you if they can. They would walk with you and walk you right into the grave. They would flatter you the whole way. And this is many times uh, what people do to themselves. You can hear arguments about why people don't believe the word of God. And there are arguments where they subject the truth of God to their own comprehension. And there are times where they say it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. And they put themselves up thinking that they're smarter than they really are. They flatter themselves or they may even flatter you. Uh, I've seen videos with this type of language on YouTube where the speaker sets themselves up as if they're smart or uh, even the speaker reaches out to the, the person who is defending the faith. And surely 
surely you don't believe this. We've heard those type of arguments. They flatter with their tongues. David says, punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. Here's when David says, let them fall by their own schemes. I think about the cartoon growing up as a kid with uh, the coyote and the roadrunner. It was uh, hilarious. In the cartoon, no matter what the coyote did, it always blew up in his face. Strap himself to a rocket to try to catch up to the roadrunner. He was super fast and the rocket wouldn't stop past the roadrunner right into the side of a mountain. He'd roll a rock off the, the cliff and somehow, inevitably, it would hit something, turn around, go up in the air and fall right back on him. He was always defeated by his own schemes. And David says, here says, let them fall by their own schemes. Let their traps, let them be caught in their own traps. Let them be tangled in their own flattery. And it's not for hatred of the adversary, uh, those individuals who are part of the world system. It's not a hatred for them, but it's because they rebel against God. You know, when we rebel against God, we, we have no leg to stand on when judgment is passed. We don't. Now, we can make every excuse that we want to, and we can even think that we're justified like Job, wanting to plead his case before God. But when God came to Job and spoke, Job didn't plead his case like he thought he was going to do. Instead, he laid his hand on his mouth. He was sorry for the thing that he said because he understood God is not someone that you bring your case to and try to accuse or convince to act in a different way, that God is all wise and always good and just and holy. So David says, they rebel against you. But in verse 11, he says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. All who take refuge, all who seek his guidance, everybody who waits on the leadership of God. Like David said in verse 8, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. That's taking refuge, that's running to God. The adversaries are many. The adversaries are strong, but we're told greater is he, God, who is in you than he, Satan, who is in the world. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them. And may those who love your name boast in you. See, here David comes full circle to the truth. It's about God. It's not about us. When the, the adversary flatters us, the adversary tries to make it about us. The world, the flesh, and the devil wants to take our eyes off of the God of the universe. They want to take our eyes off of the God who came down as we just celebrated Advent and Christmas, of the God who came down to earth to save us, of the God who didn't come down off the cross to save us, of the God who rose again for our justification. See, the world, the flesh, and the devil wants to flatter us. They want us to turn inward. They want us to take our eyes off of Christ because when you do, you sink. When you do, 
you fall. And when you fall, their hope is that you stay down. But David says, may those who love your name boast about you. Flattery takes our eyes off God. David's prayer, as he's praying, as he's seeking for God's guidance and help, as he's meditating on the goodness of God, his heart turns and starts to boast. For you, Lord, he says, for you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. The blessing of God, the presence of God is a shield. And there are times where it can be hard and difficult, but we have to run to Jesus. It's not just a cliche. It's not just a a great sounding lyric in a song. It's how we live. Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus taught us to pray when we say our Father in heaven. One of those requests is give us this day our daily bread. We have to live off of Jesus. Jesus is our sustenance every day. He is our life. We must abide in him. So yes, we run to Jesus. Yes, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yes, we cry out to God the Father through the name of Jesus. Yes, we beg Jesus for help. Yes, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us grace and strength and power. Yes, the triune God is our only strength and our only hope against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the culmination of David's prayer. As God, I come to you and I need your help. God, I'm interrupting if it were even possible to interrupt. I am interrupting you because my need is great and you are my father. And I am your child and my adversary is strong and I need your help. I need your guidance. I need you to make the way straight. Make it plain. Make it clear. Give me strength. I take refuge in you. God, defeat my enemies. You see what ends up happening to David. David doesn't say, let me defeat my enemies. He's asking God to defeat his enemies while God leads him on the path. While God walks with him and fellowships with him. He's asking God to handle the baddies. This is the Christian life. The Lord is our banner. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our refuge. So I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. It's it's been an encouragement to my heart, and I wanted to share this. I didn't know the best way to share it, so I thought the best way to do it is just to do it. So I pray that God has used something that is said here to encourage you to look to Jesus and maybe even consider taking this Psalm chapter five and making it a prayer over the next few days, meditate on it, perhaps commit it to memory and may God bless you.